Glad you're here to join us. Feel free to share this live stream to your page in case somebody that you know needs to hear from God's Word today. Um, if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to get it out and open to the book of Psalms. We've been studying the book of Psalms for the last several weeks. We uh, have a tradition at Christ Community Church that uh, every year after we get through the Advent, Christmas, Epiphany season, we usually take, take a few weeks to study the Psalms. So we've been doing that, and it's always a rich time to spiritually recenter going into a new year. Uh, today, I'm going to be sharing with you from Psalm 43. This is a psalm in which um, we're hearing the prayer of a person who is going through a period of intense discouragement, sadness, anxiety, frustration, possibly we could say depression. So the title for my message is going to be Dealing with Discouragement. I'll give you a second to turn to Psalm 43. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, so you can read along with me. Here's what the text says, Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Let me say a word of prayer before we continue. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for technology that allows us as the people of God to connect today, even in the midst of extreme weather conditions. I do pray for that uh, people that you keep everybody safe in the midst of the winter storm that's happening lord uh, please keep people safe who are on the roads please help everybody to find shelter just watch over our church family and watch over people in our city especially those who are most vulnerable and lord i want to ask for the help of your holy spirit as we take a few minutes together to study your word would you help me that every word i say would be true and wise and glorifying to you and and would give grace to everyone who hears these words Help me to unfold your word accurately and faithfully and with the blessing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we all go through periods of deep discouragement and, and we need your help. We need to learn how to trust in Christ and draw strength from you to get through those times. So uh, I commit this time to you. ask that you would use it to make us mature and make us wise and give hope to those who are hurting. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we said, the, the title of this message is Dealing with Discouragement, and it should be clear from the beginning that the psalmist is discouraged. The psalmist is going through some hard times. In uh, verse 2, he asks the question, Why do I go about mourning? So this word mourning speaks to grief and to sadness. And then if you look down in verse 5, there's two metaphors for the extreme pain that this person is going through. Verse 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? I want you to think about those two questions. Why are you cast down, O my soul? So that's a picture 
my soul, my life force, my innermost being is down on the ground in the mud and the dirt and the dust. Um, this is a, an expression of depression. We might say it, I'm feeling down in the dumps. But here's an even more graphic way of saying that same thing. Somebody's saying, I feel like my soul is in the dirt. Everything's tra everybody's trampling on me and I've got no hope. And then that second question, why are you in turmoil within me? Now this word turmoil is one that speaks to loud noise. You might think of an overwhelming crowd that's, that's shouting and shouting and you can't have any peace. This is the opposite of what you might think of as a gentle, flowing, peaceful stream. Think maybe more of rushing rapids that threaten to overwhelm you and drown you and smash you against the rock. So the picture is that that's what's happening inside of this person. He's saying to his soul, why are you so filled with noise? Some of you watching the live stream right now uh, are familiar with the experience perhaps of going through your day or maybe trying to go to sleep at night and you just cannot shut off the voices in your head. Loud voices, angry voices, they're whispering to you about fears and anxieties regarding the future. Maybe they're telling you lies about yourself, telling you that you're worthless or nobody loves you. Maybe they're bringing up painful or traumatic experiences from the past or you're reliving your worst moments over and over. Those voices that you just can't seem to stop. That's what this person is going through. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Now, I believe God put this psalm in the Bible for us because all of us go through periods of deep discouragement. We go through periods of pain. Many of us go through periods of depression and darkness. And if you're going through a time like that, that doesn't mean that you're unspiritual. It doesn't mean that you're not mature. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. On the contrary, this psalm is here to give you hope and to tell you that God loves you and to give you some tools to know what should I do when I'm going through one of those dark times. And as a matter of fact, I just want to encourage you that as I study many of my Christian heroes throughout the centuries, people who knew God and who loved God, who were strong and full of faith, and whom God used to impact the world in powerful ways, many of them went through extended periods of discouragement. Some of them went through very dark times of depression. Now around this time last year, we were talking about this in another sermon on another psalm called Soul Thirst, and I told you stories about Mother Teresa, and about C.S. Lewis, and about Martin Luther, and all these different Christians throughout the ages who went through very, very, very dark times. And God walked with them through the dark times. They could not feel His presence, but even though they couldn't feel Him, He was there, and He helped them get through those dark times. And I want to add one more story for you today. Uh, some of you will not know the name Henry Nouwen, but some of you will know that name. Henry Nouwen was one of the great spiritual writers of the 20th century, uh, a man who lived very close to Jesus, and God used him to help a lot of people. Henry Nouwen spent time um, in South America ministering to the poorest of the poor. He also spent a lot of time um, ministering to the intellectual elite as an instructor at Harvard. And he was a, a Christian minister who also had a PhD in psychology and wrote a lot of spiritual classics about how to have a soul that lives at peace with God. And yet after he was already a very famous spiritual writer who administered to rich and poor, to educated and uneducated, he went through a series of events in the years 1987 and 1988 that triggered a time of deep depression. And what, what started this was the end of a relationship. He, he had a very close, intimate friendship that the relationship got in some difficult times and, and was broken. 
And that triggered feelings of abandonment and rejection that then uh, connected with some early traumatic experiences that he had gone through. And it just started a spiral of just, just a tremendous pain and discouragement. And as he was going through that dark time of discouragement, Henry Nouwen, a psychologist and a great spiritual writer, ended up needing to go spend months getting intensive counseling and working with the spiritual director. It took him years to be able to talk openly about this experience, but um, let, let me read to you how he described it later. He said, That was a time of extreme anguish, during which I wondered whether I would be able to hold on to my life. Now, somebody's watching this live stream that right now you've been feeling that. You've been going through extreme anguish and you've been wondering, am I going to be able to hold on to my life? And I want to tell you, God loves you and there's hope for you. That's what this message is about. Listen to what he says. He, he said, everything came crashing down. My self-esteem, my energy to live and work, my sense of being loved, my hope for healing, my trust in God, everything. Here I was, a writer about the spiritual life, known as someone who loves God and gives hope to people, flat on the ground and in total darkness. What had happened, Nowen asks. He says, I had come face to face with my own nothingness. Maybe some people have felt that before. It was as if all that had given me life had given my life meaning was pulled away and I could see nothing in front of me but a bottomless abyss. Now, at the end of this message, if you stay tuned, I'm going to tell you about what happened and how God met Henry Nowen in his place of darkness. But I wanted to read you that quote at the beginning to say that's one of the great spiritual writers of the 20th century already before this time of depression and discouragement. And his ministry would become much deeper, and his walk with God would become much deeper after this period of discouragement. So I'm mentioning these stories about discouragement not to discourage you, but to do the opposite. I want to encourage you and give you hope. If you're discouraged, you are not alone. And God has never abandoned anybody in their discouragement. If you're going through a period of grief or depression or, um, or discouragement, God loves you. God is with you. And we want to offer some help to you today. So let's dig into the psalm now and see what wisdom it can give us for what do we do during those periods of pain. How do we deal with our discouragement? First, I want to say a word about the causes of discouragement. Now there's a whole lot of different reasons that people can be discouraged. We, we could put some of those reasons just into a few categories. We can go through periods of pain and discouragement and depression for physiological reasons. Okay, Just there's something going on with your body. Some people watching this struggle with that in a chronic way. Either there's a, a chronic chemical imbalance that just causes you to feel really bad sometimes, or it may not necessarily be a mental health thing, but if you go through intense seasons of pain, that's going to take a toll on, on your emotional health as well. So some people go through periods of pain and discouragement for physiological reasons. Other people go through periods of pain and discouragement for circumstantial reasons, meaning I just lost my job or a relationship that I had depended on and drawn strength on from a long time just ended through death or um, through a broken relationship, people hurt one another, or maybe it's financial stress. It could be any number of things. It could be a physical injury, but circumstances hit us really hard. Some people, it's just day-to-day -day life is, is grinding you down. You're struggling financially. You spend your day taking care of little kids and it's just exhausting and you're emotionally worn out. 
So there's physiological reasons to feel discouraged. There's circumstantial reasons. There's also spiritual reasons. And there's a lot of different spiritual reasons. I mean, we can go through periods of discouragement just because we're living in sin and, and we're rebelling against God and that sin is hindering our fellowship with God so we're not experiencing the joy and peace that we would be otherwise. But sometimes we can go through discouragement and it doesn't have anything to do with sin. We're doing everything right. We're walking with God. We're calling on the Lord. Maybe we're experiencing spiritual warfare. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 6:12 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the devil really wants to discourage us. So sometimes that's what's going on. You know, Mother Teresa, when she went through an extended period of, of difficulty and pain, she ultimately came to conclude that God himself in his love had visited her early in life in a way that she felt his nearness and his presence and love. But then later, God did not withdraw from her, but he withdrew from her the feeling of his presence so that she would learn to trust him and not that feeling. And that ultimately she came to know the heart of Jesus much better through that period of pain. So there's physiological reasons we can feel discouraged. There's circumstantial reasons. There's spiritual reasons. And those are not mutually exclusive. Sometimes one of those will trigger the others. Lots of reasons to feel discouraged or to struggle with depression and some of those negative feelings. And if we look into this text, it seems that uh, the, the speaker in this text is a person who has a combination of factors. Maybe there's more than this, but definitely this is a person who has gone through very painful circumstances, and those painful external circumstances have led to a deep internal spiritual crisis. So let's look at the external circumstances. We can see them in verse 1, Vindicate me, O God. Psalm 43, 1, if you're just joining us, we're looking at Psalm 43 says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. So we see right there, this person has people problems, relationship problems. Ungodly people have been treating me badly. And it gets a little more clear if we finish the verse, From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. The deceitful man. So somebody has been lying about this person. The speaker says, God help me because they've been lying about me. They've been slandering me. They've been gossiping about me. And unjust people are trying to hurt me. Again, and, and at the end of verse 2, he says, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So this is a person who has external circumstances where people are lying about him, they're oppressing him, they're abusing him. So if you've ever had broken relationships, if you've been hurt, if you've been abused, if somebody's lied about you, if somebody uh, has oppressed you or treated you unjustly, um, you can maybe relate to what's happening here. But that set of external pressures has now triggered a spiritual crisis. We see that in verse 3, uh, excuse me, verse 2, the, the first part of verse 2, which says, For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? See, this person is hurting because human beings have treated him wrong, but that external problem created a deep internal spiritual problem that this individual is saying, God, why have you rejected me? God, why have you abandoned me? In other words, this individual is going through a crisis of faith. Now, as we're going to see as we continue, God has not, in fact, abandoned this person, but this person feels abandoned by God, and this person is being honest with God about that feeling. There's a spiritual crisis. There's a crisis of faith, and somebody watching this live stream right now has had the experience of 
things start going bad in your life and you start to wonder, God, are you even there? God, do you really care about me? God, are you even real? Or maybe you've thought, God, you're real and I believe you love other people, but I don't believe that you love me right now. And if you're going through that kind of a struggle with doubt and spiritual crisis, you're not alone. The Bible validates that experience and is here to give you some tools for what do you do in that moment. So this person has some external relational problems that have led to an internal spiritual crisis. And the question is, what do we do? Now, before we go further, I want to say Psalm 43 does not exhaust all of the strategies that we can use to deal with discouragement and pain and depression. God has given us manifold gifts, manifold means of grace to help us through hard times. So if you're here and you're struggling, hey, first of all, reach out to a friend. Friends are a means of grace, okay? Uh, reach out to a pastor, reach out to a counselor or a therapist if you need to, or a mentor who, who you can talk to about your struggle. Or look, just re recognizing, just like there's physiological causes for pain and discouragement and depression, sometimes you know, working on getting better sleep or getting in the sunlight or better nutrition or maybe even taking medicine prescribed by a medical professional can be really helpful. Those can be means of grace. That's great. Um, so talk to somebody, um, get whatever help you can get, find hobbies, find fun things that give joy to your heart. There's lots of tools. But what this psalm is here to help us to do is say, whatever other means of grace you may use in order to help you during a dark time, you definitely need to deal with God and you need to deal with your own soul. Okay, that doesn't exclude all the other things. Make use of all the means of grace. Friends, good counselors, um, whatever else God gives to you. But do not neglect dealing with God and dealing with your own soul. And in this psalm, we see really kind of three categories of strategies we can use to help us deal with God and deal with our own souls when we're going through difficult, painful, discouraging times. And we could summarize those three categories in this way. I'm going to give you the summary first, and then I'll break them down for you. First, talk to God. Second, listen to God. And third, talk to yourself. That's the three categories. That's simple. Talk to God. Listen to God. Talk to yourself. So, what, what do we mean by this? First, talk to God. Well, Psalm 43, the whole psalm, is an example of talking to God. If you're going through pain, pray about it. If you're going through pain, talk to God about it. But we can say more than this because if we look at this psalm, it models for us some specific strategies of prayer. The first thing we can notice is that this individual asks God for help with the external circumstances. See, sometimes we try to be more spiritual than the Bible, which is a problem because God wrote the Bible, and it's not a good idea to try and be more spiritual than God, okay? So I know people who, if they're going through hard circumstances, they never want to pray about the circumstances. They only pray about their own heart. Well, you should pray about your heart. We're going to get to that. But also, it's good and healthy to just ask for God's help with the external circumstances. So we see that here in verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. So it's saying here, um, God, I've got people problems. Please help me with my people problems. God, I've got people lying about me. I want you to vindicate me. That means, God, show the truth about me. Show people that I'm innocent. People are gossiping and slandering me. Please vindicate me. Tell them the truth. Honor my reputation. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. In other words, people are trying to hurt me. God, please rescue me. 
So it's good to pray about the external circumstances. If you've got problems at work, ask God to help you with your problems at work. If you've got relationship problems, ask God to heal your relationships. If you're sick, ask God to heal your body. It's good to communicate to God and ask for His help with your external circumstances. So the first thing we notice is that the psalmist prays and asks for God's help with the external circumstances. Second thing we notice, when, when the psalmist is talking to God, he not only asks God for help with his external circumstances, but he is honest with God about his spiritual struggle. I feel like this may be one of the most important points for some people watching this. Because a lot of us feel like we're the only one who struggles spiritually. We're the only one who has doubts. We're the only one who feels like God is distant. And I just want you to know that you are not the only one. Somebody should maybe testify on this live stream. I struggle with doubts. I struggle with feeling like God's far from me at times. And there's probably some other people on this live stream right now who struggle with the same thing. If you feel that way, there's no reason to hide it. God already knows it. And I think sometimes, though, we get afraid of our spiritual struggles. We're afraid of our doubts. But I want to say to you, the more that you fear your doubts, the more that gives your doubts power over you. Okay? The more you fear your doubt, the more you fear your spiritual struggle, the more that gives your doubts power over you. The way to get power over your doubt is just to bring it to God. So look at verse 2, and what you'll see is this person being honest with God about his doubts. He says, For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Listen, if you feel rejected with God, you might as well tell him about it. If you feel like God has abandoned you, tell him, God, I feel like, uh, I feel like you've abandoned me. But what's interesting here is I want you to see the combination of faith and doubt. Somebody needs to hear this. Faith and doubt are not mutually exclusive. Okay, the world is not divided into some people who have perfect faith and some people who only have doubt. I would argue that faith and doubt are at war in the soul of every Christian on most minutes and most hours of most days. Okay, faith and doubt coexist in this life. One day, we're going to be with Jesus and we'll see him face to face and doubt, doubt won't be an issue anymore. But in the meantime, in our Christian journey, there's a lot of days that we're going to experience doubt. And we see struggling with doubt doesn't mean that you have no faith. Look at, at verse 2 again. You are the God in whom I take refuge. That's an affirmation of faith. But then he says, you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? So he affirms his faith and then immediately expresses his doubt and his question. If you're struggling with doubts, don't be afraid of your doubts. That gives them power over you. Instead, reaffirm your faith to God and tell God about your doubts so that God can help you get power over those doubts. We see it again at the end of verse he says, oh God, my God. So in other words, he says, God, I feel like you've abandoned me. God, I feel like you've rejected me. Why are you leaving me alone in my trouble? But you're still my God and you're still my refuge. If you want to think more about this issue of um, faith and doubt coexisting in the hearts of human beings, I encourage you to take a look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. I love this little verse. It's easy to miss it because the exciting stuff that comes before and after. But what comes right before this is that Jesus rises from the dead, okay? The Son of God just died on the cross for our sins and then came back to life and appeared to his disciples. And then right after this is the Great Commission when Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. Go now and make disciples of all nations. I'll be with you to the end of the age. But right between those two, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, we read this, And when they, that is the disciples, saw him, that is Jesus, 
They worshipped him, but some doubted. What a sentence. When the disciples saw Jesus, they worshipped him, and some doubted. First of all, if you feel guilty about doubting God after all he's done for you, just recognize these people were literally staring at the resurrected Jesus, and they were doubting. Okay, So those were the apostles. These are the, the apostles who are going to be the founders of the church in the book of Acts. And yet, while they're looking at Jesus, they're struggling with their doubts. Second of all, the fact that they doubted doesn't mean that they had zero faith. It said they worshipped him, but some doubted. So they were worshipping and doubting at the same time. Here's the point. The fact that you struggle with doubts doesn't mean that you're a spiritual phony. It doesn't mean you're a spiritual fake. You can be honest with God about your doubts and say, God, I love you. God, you're my only hope. But God, I'm struggling with doubt. God, I need you to help me. And if you come to him in faith and are honest about your doubt, he will help you. So we're talking about talk to God. And the first two things we notice, this psalmist asks for help with the external circumstances. And this psalmist is honest with God about his pain and his spiritual struggle. And then the next thing we notice is that the psalmist asks for help with his spiritual condition. Okay? So he, he doesn't just ask for help with his external circumstances. He also prays and asks God to help him sort out his heart. Verses 3 and 4 are all about that. They say, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God my God. Now I'm going to unpack those verses in more detail in just a moment. But the simple point I want to make here is that the, psal the psalmist is going through a, pe a period of depression and discouragement and struggle, and he's talking to God about it. He's asking for help with his external circumstances. He's being honest with God about his spiritual struggle, and he's asking God to help sort out his heart. So that leads us to our second point. We've said there's three strategies here for what to do with discouragement. Talk to God, listen to God, and talk to yourself. We've been talking about prayer, talking to God. Now let's move on to the second of those. We're going to talk about listening to God. Now I get this point from those verses I just read, verses 3 and 4. Let's look at them in a little bit more detail. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. I'm going to pause right there. A second ago I said what's happening here is that the psalmist is praying, God, help me sort out my soul. Help me sort out my heart. I've got problems not only in my external circumstances, but in my soul I've got problems. Help me with my internal situation. But now I want you to notice the specific kind of help he's asking for. He's saying, God, send your light. God, send your truth. Now those are two really important words in the Bible, okay? God's light is a symbol for God's hope. It's a symbol for God's wisdom. It's a symbol for God's grace. It's a symbol for God's truth. And then, of course, the word truth could also be translated faithfulness. It's talking about God's faithfulness, but this word also represents God's word, which is always true. So, in effect, what the psalmist is praying right here is, God, I need you to help me be led by the truth of your word. I need you to send your truth and your wisdom and your faithful word into my heart to minister to me in my internal place, in the depths of my soul to sort me out from the inside out. And the goal here, the intention here, is that the Word, the truth, the light of God would enter into my soul in a way that is going to change me and lead me. And look, look where he says he wants to be led by God's Word. He says, 
Let your truth and light bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, which is like a harp. O God, my God. So what he's saying is, God, send your truth, send your wisdom, send your word into my heart, and then let it lead me into your presence. When he talks about uh, the holy hill of God and his dwelling and his altar, it's referring to the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. And perhaps it's possible that this psalm originated as part of the exile experience of the people of Israel. They were being disciplined for their sins and sent into exile. And now they're crying out, God, people are lying about us. People are oppressing us. Help us with our external circumstances. We feel like you've abandoned us, but we're crying out to you. Help us spiritually on the inside. And perhaps they're partly again talking about their external circumstances. But I think the context makes it clear what they're really saying here is the temple is a symbol for God's presence. And they're saying, send your word into my heart in order to sort out what's going on inside of me so that I'm ready to bring my soul into your presence to worship you with joy. Subsequent generations of Jews and Christians have always read the text that way. What verses 3 and 4 are saying, God, I need your truth. I need your word. I need your faithful love to enter into my heart, to bring me in my presence. And notice here that the deliverance that the psalmist is looking for is not just that people will stop oppressing me, it's that people will stop oppressing me and I will once again experience the joy I was made for, which is the joy of worshiping God in His presence. As Christians, those words light and truth should have special resonance for us because, of course, in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Christians have always read these verses as saying, God, send your word, send the gospel, send the person of Jesus to help me, to enter into my heart, to sort out my soul, and then to lead me into your presence so that I can joyfully worship you and praise you once again. Jesus is the light of God, the Son of God, who entered into our darkness and our pain. Jesus is the truth of God who entered into our confusion and our doubt. And what's beautiful to think about the gospel here is that Jesus experienced all the pain that was in this gospel. He suffered with us and for us, okay? Jesus knows what it's like to have people lie about you. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like to be oppressed. Jesus knows what it's like even to cry out, God, why have you rejected me? Remember that most mysterious verse of the Bible when Jesus is on the cross and he quotes Psalm 22 saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The innocent, righteous sufferer. All of that pain, all of that discouragement, Jesus bore it. He took it on himself. He suffered with us and for us. He bore the consequences of our sin and then he died for us and rose again from the grave so that if we trust in him, we can be assured that the Son of God, Jesus, is going to lead us through those dark times, through those dark valleys, and He's going to lead us out to the other side, to life, to, by, by His grace. If you trust in Jesus, you'll be forgiven. He's going to give to you eternal life, resurrection life. So we've been talking about how to deal with discouragement. We've said, first, you talk to God. Second, you listen to God. And just to clarify the point here, the, the psalmist is praying, God, help me to hear your word. Help me to hear your truth. Help me especially to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so that I'll be ready to worship you again. And then the final point here is uh, talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. 
Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And if we were in the sanctuary right now, I would say, repeat after me, O my soul. That's a, a phrase. Those three words recur in the Psalms, and they're important words. When you say, O my soul, you're talking to yourself. Your soul is you. It's your innermost person, your, your life force, okay? It's your heart. So what he's saying is, listen, me, listen, my heart. I've got some things to say to you. Good repeating, Anna. Anna just repeated on the live stream. Way to go. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. That whole verse, the psalmist is talking to himself. And I want you to notice the two things he does. First, he asks himself hard questions. And second, he preaches the gospel to himself. Okay? Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's saying, why are you feeling the way that you're feeling? What is the root cause? Now, in one sense, he already knows it. I mean, he already talked about his external circumstances in verses 1 and 2. But now he's, he's plunging deeper. I want to suggest to some of you, if you've got emotions that you can't understand, that you, maybe emotions that you feel like you can't control, one of the disciplines I would encourage you to do is when you feel those emotions rising up, Try and take some time to get alone and ask God to help you understand what's going down, what's going on in your heart. I remember, uh, this was a few months ago, there was a day where I was going through life, doing life, doing ministry, loving people, sharing God's word, and as the day went on, I uh, felt myself increasingly hurt, frustrated, irritable. I didn't know why. I didn't know what was going on. And so I was going from opportunity to opportunity to care for others, but my own soul was struggling, and so... I just went into my office and took a second to pray and said, God, would you help me understand what's going on in my soul? And, and effectively had this conversation with myself. Soul, what's going on? And, and the Holy Spirit helped me, and I remembered a conversation earlier in the day and realized I was upset about something somebody said in that conversation. Then I asked myself, why did that make me so upset? And it started becoming clear, well, I felt disrespected, and, and when I feel disrespected, then I start feeling like maybe nobody likes me and maybe I don't have value. And, then there was an opportunity to preach the gospel to myself and say, John Mark, why are you so upset about some little comment somebody made to you in that conversation? God loves you. God says you're his child. You don't need to worry about what they think. And I asked myself hard questions. I preached the gospel to my soul, and I found joy and peace again and was able to go minister to other people. So that's the process here. You ask yourself hard questions. Now, in the story I told, God was gracious, and it only took me a few minutes to understand what's going on, but for some of you, it's, it might take a longer process. And in my life, sometimes it has taken a much longer time. You might need not only help from God, you might need help from some trusted friends or mentors or a good pastor or a good therapist who can help you understand what are some of the root issues going on. What's behind your anger? What's behind your pain, your discouragement, your frustration? But it's good to take time to talk to our souls, to ask ourselves questions, to examine ourselves, I'd encourage you, if you struggle with this, just to write down in a journal, why am I angry? Why am I frustrated? Why am I feeling sad? What's bothering me about this? Ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight. But then you don't stop there. Because after you ask yourself your hard questions, you preach the gospel to yourself. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. So the psalm ends with this affirmation of, God is my God. God is my salvation. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again so I can be saved by grace through Jesus Christ. I'm going to hope in Him because He's not going to leave me in this dark place forever. He's going to bring me into 
the light of his salvation. But when we're saying preach the gospel to yourself, what it's saying is you can't control how you feel, but you can control how you respond to your feelings. And while you're asking God for help, and while you are expressing your needs in appropriate ways to other people, you can also take responsibility to speak God's truth into your life, to intentionally replace negative thought patterns with the truth of God in a way that can help you. So the three key strategies here are talk to God, listen to God, and talk to yourself. Now, I'm, I'm going to finish with a couple of stories about what this can look like, and then I'm going to sign off here in a minute. First one, I want to return to the story I began with. At the beginning of this talk, I, I was telling you about Henry Nowen and how he went through uh, an extended period of depression. It started with broken external relationships, but it led to a deep psychological and spiritual crisis. His period of depression was debilitating to a point where he couldn't work. Um, he wasn't really able to relate to anybody. He could barely get out of bed type thing, and he had to go get six months of intensive counseling. Um, but while he was going through that time, he was a person who had had a deep life of prayer in the past, but he found during this time that uh, all he could really manage to do was to meet with his counselor, his spiritual director, and then write out about a paragraph every day of an exhortation to himself. He was doing exactly what we, this psalm talks about. He was talking to himself. He was asking himself hard questions, and then he was preaching the gospel to himself. And the, we, we have the benefit of the fact that we can go read what he wrote. So if you want to read the little exhortations that Henry Nouwen wrote to himself in this time of depression, you can get a, his book called The Inner Voice of Love. But every day, he would ask himself hard questions about what's going on in his heart, and then he would preach the gospel to himself. After he came out of that period of depression, it was a, it was a long struggle for many months, and that wasn't the last time he dealt with discouragement, but that was a, a time in which he experienced some breakthrough. Eventually, he came out of that, and then he wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son, which was inspired by a painting. He saw a print of a painting by Rembrandt, uh, which was a, a, of a scene in the Bible. And I'm about to do a little show and tell because I love this painting, and my wife loves me. So a little while back, she got me a great big print of this same painting that meant so much to Henry Nowen, and I'm about to grab it. There's probably going to be a glare. We'll see how this goes. Okay, Here, here's the picture. If you've read the parable of the prodigal, prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke, you know Jesus tells a parable to illustrate the point that when we run far, far away from God and go into all kinds of sin and come back to Him, He's like the Father in this picture. We think because we're clothed in our dirty rags and we've sinned and rebelled against God, we imagine that God doesn't love us, that if we come back to Him, He's going to be angry and disappointed. But this picture shows us what Jesus says God is really like. We come to God with all of our failure and dirt and struggle, and God tenderly embraces us. He puts his hand on our shoulders. If you've been struggling right now, I want you to look at this picture. Think about the parable of Jesus. And what Henry Nouwen found is that most of us just do not believe God is like this. But the God of love, the God who revealed himself in Jesus Christ is like this. He is eager to embrace you. If you'll come to him right now and say, God, I need your help. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, help me. He will embrace you this tenderly. And that doesn't mean all of the struggle goes away, but it does mean that a loving, loving father will walk with you through the struggle. And one last story 
before we finish today. I've talked about some really deep stuff, deep periods of depression and discouragement, uh, but I want to tell a personal story which is not quite as deep, but which is something that probably some people can relate to. One of the things that can get discouraged is if we're Christians, we're doing ministry and sometimes it's hard. So there's a lot of people on this call who are a part of Christ Community Church and you serve on uh, neighborhood ministry teams, mentoring people and teaching Bible studies. Some of you serve on school ministry teams. You're, you're tutoring kids and trying to mentor kids. Some of you serve on the college ministry team where you're sharing the gospel and trying to minister to college students. And sometimes ministry is encouraging and sometimes it isn't, right? I'll tell you a, a, a story about this in my life. So one of the places where I get a chance to minister is out at Magnolia Village Apartments on Southwest 59th Street in Oklahoma City. And in late 2019, Gavin Hart and I were, were serving out there, and it was going great. It was a really encouraging time. We had seen several young people come to know Christ. They were coming to Bible study regularly. They were starting to ask good questions. They were eager to learn and grow. But then we got into 2020, and several things happened. There was a shift out there. A lot of people moved, and over the course of just a few weeks, every person that we had been investing in in years moved away, most of them really suddenly in a way where we lost contact with them. So years of relational investment, and all of a sudden we just had no contact. Not only that, this was the time, of course, that the pandemic hit. So everybody that we already knew moved out. We had this thriving ministry group going on in this apartment complex. And now because of the pandemic, we couldn't do block parties, we couldn't do Bible clubs, any of the things we, public events we usually do to meet new people. So we had a thriving ministry, and in a pretty short period of time, there was really no ministry there at all. So I was feeling discouraged. I felt like giving up. Maybe somebody on this Zoom, I mean on this uh, Facebook Live, struggles sometimes with feeling like giving up when things are going hard in ministry. Um, but I thought, you know what? There's discouraging times. I just want to trust God and try to be faithful. So I just kept going out week after week. Sometimes I'd go with other people. Sometimes I'd go alone. And I had to do the stuff that we just talked about. I was feeling discouraged. But I was talking to God about it. I was listening to God's word, trying to meditate on the scriptures. And I was preaching to myself, hey, God has been faithful in the past. He can do it again. And after months of me just going out and showing up and walking around, sometimes I get to talk to people and encourage people. Sometimes I just walked around by myself and prayed and talked to God for a while. But God began to open doors. And he did it really through some of you. First of all, a new manager came there to that apartment complex who used to be at Remington. She loved our church already because... Uh, Jared Stevenson and the others on the Remington team, I think that's Alejandro, I'm not sure who else, had built a great relationship. They had a great witness at Remington Apartments. So now that she's over at a, at a new complex, she opens a door for us to minister and she lets us use the clubhouse. So we've got a good, consistent, safe indoor place where we can meet in any weather. And that's great, that's encouraging, but I still don't know who are we going to start with. Well, it turns out there's a young man who used to be out at Briar Glen Apartments and Chauncey Shiloh and I, I believe Greg and Layla Woodruff had invested spiritually in this young man for a long time. And so now he was ready to go. And he became our first sort of person of peace that we connected with, began to encourage him spiritually. He started coming to the after school program and that helped it get off the ground. We couldn't really do any events, but we just put out some flyers. And then, this is exciting, a, a second grader started coming and her big sister was bringing her. I thought what was happening was that big sister was just being nice. It's, it's a pandemic. This second grade sister has not been able to um, hang out with friends or be around people for a while. So her big sister, who's an 18-year-old senior in high school, brings her second grade little sister to the after-school program just to be nice. But actually what I found out as we went was that 
Um, big sister was coming for her own reasons. Okay, so she's 18 years old, but she's coming to this after school program with a bunch of kids. And one day when we're, after we sat around and played Connect Four and Uno and then read the Gospel of Mark and, and we were praying and, and saying, what do we want to thank God for? This 18-year-old girl said, I'm glad that God let our family get back in church again. And she was talking about the after school program that we were doing. And as we get to know the family better, it turns out that Big Sister has a twin. And now there's those, both of those 18-year-olds are coming and both of them say, this is our church that's happening right there in that apartment complex. At, at a recent one, we read a Bible verse and, and now both of those 18-year-olds are getting into it with the younger kids. And when we were asking, what does God want to teach us through this verse? Some of the kids were saying, Jesus wants us to come close to him. He wants us to have a relationship with him, um, just like the people in this story. And then one of those 18-year-old young women said, you know what? He does, but that's not all. He wants us to go around and share the good news with others so that they can have the hope of God, just like we found the hope of God. We didn't even try to start an adult Bible study, and now these young women are growing in their faith and wanting to share with others. But it took months of, of struggle and discouragement, and what we had to do was uh, follow what was in this psalm. we got to talk to God. we got to listen to God, and we got to talk to ourselves. Hey, before I sign off, I want to give you one last parting thought. There's a verse in Psalm 63 which has been with me a lot lately. And what it says is, um, My soul clings to the Lord. His right hand upholds me. And I want to finish with, with that thought. My soul clings to the Lord. His right hand upholds me. All the strategies that I've been talking about today for dealing with discouragement are just ways of describing what does it mean for my soul to cling to the, or to cling to the Lord? Okay, it's good for us to cling to God, but as I reflect on that verse, it says, "My soul clings to the Lord," but really, it's His right hand that upholds me. And as I meditate on that verse, I think about it as a parent. I'm used to having the experience of carrying around a baby or a toddler, and what I found is that if I'm carrying around this this child. And something happens, we walk on some stairs and the child feels scared that the child's going to fall. Or a dog runs up and my little boy or girl is afraid of the dog. What that little baby or toddler will instinctively do is grab on tight to me. They're going to cling to me and they're going to hold on tight. And that's good. They should do that. It provides some stability for them and it helps them feel much better. But here's the truth. Their little fingers and forearms are not strong enough to hold up their weight. So grabbing on tight to me gives them some stability and it helps them feel better, but that's really not the reason they're safe. The reason that they're safe is because I'm holding on to them and I'm strong enough to hold up their weight and I'm going to protect them. I'm not going to let them fall down those stairs. I'm not going to let the dog get them. And that's what our relationship with God is like. We need to talk to God. We need to listen to God. We need to talk to ourselves. All those are strategies for clinging to God. We should do them. They provide stability. They help our hearts and souls get more healthy. But the real reason we are safe is not because of how hard we can hold on to God. It's because of how hard God is holding on to us. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Jesus rose again. Jesus promised if you trust in him, he holds you in his hands. And the Father holds you in his hands. And nothing can take you out of God's hands. So church family, God loves you. That's the ultimate reason you can have hope. Trust in Christ. He will not disappoint you. Everybody stay warm. Everybody stay safe. Let me pray for you as we wrap up our time together. Our Father in heaven, I, I just thank you for your grace. I thank you for your word. I pray for everybody who views this live stream that you would encourage their hearts, that you would remind them of how much you love them. 
Lord, if there's anybody who's going through a really hard time of discouragement or depression, I pray by your grace that they wouldn't give up, uh, that you would show them how much you love them and that you'd give them the, the strength that they need to reach out for help. And Lord, I pray for all of us that our souls would cling to you, but even more than that, we would rest in the truth that your right hand upholds us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.